0: Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church sermon podcast. I'm Chloe Roges and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. In our current series, Refine, we've been looking at the seven deadly sins and how we can fight these sins together. And today we're talking all about greed. Money can have a tight hold on many people's lives. It can cause unhealthy habits and deeply affect relationships, both with others and with God. That's why we want to not only learn to fight greed, but to also grow in generosity in all ways. And the best part is, you're never fighting alone. So let's learn to fight together. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Good morning, church. My name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor at Rolling Hills. I get to oversee all things discipleship and missions. I spend most of my time at the Franklin campus, but I always love it when I get to come to the Knowlesville campus, because I don't know if y'all know it, but there's a ton of energy here at this campus, amen? Amen. I love it. God is moving in a powerful way here, uh, and he's not done. He's just beginning. Um, So I'm so excited to be here with you today. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 28, uh, just looking at verse 25. If you have your copy of God's Word, you could turn there now. It's also on the screen. This is what the Word of the Lord says. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence this morning, Lord, I pray that you clear our hearts, you clear our minds, Lord, so that you can transform us, change us into your likeness, Lord. Lord, whatever we brought into this room today, would we lay it at your feet so that you may show us who you are, and who you would have us be in the world. Lord, change us for our good and for your glory. Amen. You know, as we continue this series today, Refine, I, uh, if you don't know, I have a lot of kids. I have, uh, last time I was here, I was about to welcome our fourth child into the world. It was just, uh, she's four months old now, so I have three sons, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old, and now a four-month-old Daughter. So if you think yourself, hey, what is four kids like in the house? It's exactly the way you think it would be. Um, somebody asked me, he was like, is there a lot of noise in your house? And I was like, yes. But after a while, it just becomes part of who you are. Like the humming refrigerator. It's just, it's just part of the atmosphere. You get uh, used to it. You know. And when you become a dad, you also there's there's things that come along with being a dad. One of them is the ability to know everything about everything. And <laughs> You know, uh, or at least pretend to. That So my kids are always asking questions, you know, like, hey, what is this? How is this? And I always give them an answer. Even if I don't know the answer, I pretend to know uh, the answer. And recently we were talking about, you know, it's always weird stuff too, but um, how does water get to the house? And uh, did, where does it come from? How does it get cleaned? You know, so I gave them an answer Um, It wasn't a great answer, but I gave them an answer and I was like, do what any good dad do, I go to YouTube and study some more um, and learned about it and came back later and was like, you know what, I forgot to tell you this, uh, that I knew all along um, and gave him the rest of the information, but I was watching this video about water purification and at the beginning, they do a thing like a man on the street where they go in and ask people, where does water come from? How does it get to your house? And it was one or two answers most of the time. It was, most, nobody had a great answer. It was either, oh, I'm not quite sure, but I'm glad it does, or um, pipes. The answer was pipes. Um, but it's so interesting. So most people don't know where it comes from, but we gladly accept the end uh, result that comes to us. But in the video... Um, you know, it goes through all the steps of water purification, and how it gets to our home, and how it gets to this pure state of being able to nourish our bodies. And you know, if you are in water treatment, I am also an expert because I watched a YouTube video. <laughs> so, um, but it's interesting. They they gather the water into these these large vats and then they add uh, coagulant into it so that the impurities that are in there will come together into larger pieces to where it's easier to filter out, and then it goes through multiple process to get to this pure state. But a lot of times, we just accept that pure water is coming to our home. I like it. I don't care where it comes from, uh, but we don't understand the process of getting to us. Sometimes we don't want to know the process because we don't want to know all the junk that's involved to get to the end result. But the reason I, the reason I tell you this is because this, this series is called Refine for a Reason. It's because God is refining all of us, He is purifying all of us. And sometimes when I think it's a struggle for some of us, what is the process of refinement? We'll accept the end goal, but we don't know how we. Get there. If you were to ask, "Hey, when you become a follower of Christ, how does God change you?" Our answer may be pipes, <laughs> um, but we had the same level of understanding of how God is changing us. Why is He changing us, and what He is changing us into? Because at the end of the day, the result of the Christian faith, when we become a follower of Christ, is Him beginning to change us, beginning to purify us, beginning to Mold us and refine us. So I say it like this God is refining our hearts and minds to a pure state. He is refining our hearts and minds to a pure state. When we become followers of Christ, He begins this process inside of us. He begins to change us into something more pure. He begins to identify the impurities and start moving us to purity. In Matthew, Jesus talks about this. He says that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking about uh, the Beatitudes. and And one of them he says is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One thing I want you to see here is that when you become a follower of Christ, And you ask for the forgiveness of sins and he becomes your savior and you begin to follow him. When God looks down on you, he sees the purity of the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees the pure in heart of Jesus. Jesus is in your place. And what this means on his bare level is blessed are the pure in heart where they will see God. What that means is only the ones who have been washed by the blood of Jesus will see God at the end of all things. That only the pure in heart will see that. But what it also means is this. That as God is refining us, as God is changing us, he is purifying us to what he already sees when he sees Jesus. He is changing us. We have a pure heart in his eyes. One day, because of that washing of the blood, we will see Jesus But now he is purifying us to what we will fully be on that day. He is changing us into that pure heart of Jesus. And we will see God. But the second fold of that is not only will we see God at the end, but we will more clearly see God in the here and the now. That he is purifying our hearts, our mind, and our eyes to see him more clearly even right now. This is his refining process, his purifying of our hearts and minds. So as we step deeper into this process and think about how he's refining us, we're going to walk through a couple of steps of this. And step one is this, examination of our hearts for impurities. Examination of our hearts for impurities. The first step in this refinement Is meeting God in the examination of our heart for impurities. And what I mean by that is when you have like when you when the water comes into the water treatment plant, they want to see what type of impurities there are, and they start to test for certain impurities. And that specific answer they get about the impurities is how they figure out what their next step is. And our first step is the examination of our hearts. We are part of this process, but it's God that's doing the changing, and He does the changing. Through his word, we read his word and we read about what purity is. We read about who he was, how he walked on the earth. We see uh, who he was and his purity on earth as his way of being in the world. And we meet him in that by reading and seeing what is. And then through his spirit, he convicts us of where those impurities are and then counsels us forward to what purity looks like in each one of those impurities. So God So we meet God in the work through his word and his spirit and through his people. We allow people into our life to be a part of this refining process, people of God who are in the word and in the spirit and can speak into our lives and help in this refining process. So with examination of our hearts is with God and his word through his spirit and with his people. So we begin to test. Like I used to be a uh, groundskeeper at a hotel here in Middle Tennessee, and I was also, in part of that, I was also a pool scientist. That's what I called it. seemed cooler than just uh, testing the pool for acid and pH levels. Um, But every day I'd go in there and scoop it up and see where it was, see if there was any impurities that was causing imbalance in the water there. So when I would do my science experiment every day, when I would find out, I would add chlorine where needed or a balancer where needed. And as a pool scientist, you know, I would get it to the level to where you could have a smooth, easy time in the pool. Side note, really funny story I was, when I was the groundskeeper, I went to school during the day. I mean, I went to school at night and worked during the day at uh, the Marriott in Cool Springs, the same Marriott that Rolling Hills used to meet at and baptize people in that same pool and, that I would eventually be a pool scientist of and <laughs> test for those impurities. And if somebody were to come and whisper in my ear at that time, hey, you're one day be the discipleship pastor of the church that used to baptize people in this pool, I would say, are you sure? because I really thought I was going to be a pool scientist for the rest of my life. But we test for specific impurities. And what we've done over this series is test for lust in our hearts. Test for gluttony. And today we're going to test for greed. And the reason we test for greed is because it's a known impurity that's frequent to humans. It is a common impurity. Impurity found in us. And for us, maybe we think, man, maybe not greed, lust, I was there, gluttony, I was there, greed, not so much. Because when we think about greed, we think about the worst-case scenario. We think about the end goal. We think about the, the Gordon geckos. Greed is good from Wall Street. We think uh, about Scrooge McDuck swimming in the, the coins. Come on, DuckTales reference. y'all got to be there. Come on. We think, we think about Thor and Oakenshield and Hobbit getting the dragon disease and longing after gold over all else. We think of these these great heights of falling with greed. But what we don't see is greed is one of the most mysterious and hiding sins in our heart. Let me put it this way. We live in a culture that has a billion-dollar ad industry that is set and designed not to create greed in you, but to tap into the greed that's already there. It's not doing anything new. What it, it's, it's in purpose is for you to long for more than what you currently have. We're bombarded by it, that our hearts are bombarded with this idea that you don't have enough and you need more. And every time I'm like, that is true. I do need more. I do need that specific thing because our hearts are longing for it. It is a a common impurity frequent to humans that we long for something else. In Ephesians 5, it says this, this, but among you there must not be any hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity. That's why we're testing for impurities. Because scripture says we should protect our hearts. We would be watchful of our hearts. That any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy. Or you could replace that with pure people. This is God's holy and pure people. These things have no place. This is why we test. This is why God is refining us. Because there is no place for these in God's holy or God's pure people. So what I want to do for a second is go deeper in the examination. I'm gonna, we're going to ask a couple of questions together to see if greed exists in our hearts together. And the first one is this. Do we have conflict in our hearts about our possession and resources? Do we have conflict in our hearts about our possessions and our resources? Let me read the verse that we started with again. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. So when you think about that, you're like, okay, if someone has set on their hearts greed and there's something in their mind that they want more than anything and they will do anything to get that end thing, that means there is no person too valuable to push out of the way, no relationship or bridge too valuable that you won't burn to get it. And what you see is if you have greed in your heart, there is conflict. You've created conflict with people and relationships around you because you'll do anything to get that end goal. And this is what this verse is telling us, that the greedy create conflict. But I think even more than that, it is outward conflict. But what I'll have us to stop and ask is the greedy always also create inward conflict, conflict with our own heart when we have that thing that we must have. It creates conflict inside of us. So we ask the question, do we have the outward conflict with people because of a thing, resource, item? And do we have conflict in our heart because of the same thing that no one may know about? An inward conflict because of our possessions and resources. Question number two, do we long for more than we need? Do we long for more... Than we need. And this is a hard balance of what do I need? I had this question, I had this conversation with my kids all the time. I need this. I was like, do you need it or do you want it? Because there is a grand difference. And son, I know that because I struggle with it every day for longing for more than we need. I mean, think about it. If you were on a a deserted island and you had nothing, you would start thinking to yourself, what do I need to survive? Your wants are out the window. You want the thing you need to survive, and you would find that thing. And then you would say, okay, I have this thing. Now I need this thing. And you're still in the need category. At what point of collecting needs does it get to the point where, oh, I would actually want to have this as well? When you think about your life, you have to stop and say, okay, what do I need? And does this, does there's things and possessions and resources that follow into the want and it's creating conflict in my heart. I mean, I can go outside and look at my backyard and say, you know, I wish I had a bigger backyard. I want to have a bigger backyard, but do I need a bigger backyard? Or I go out there, and I get my backyard, and I'm like, this is the big backyard. I'm content with this. Or, you know what, it would be a lot better if there was a golf course back here. <laughs> and what is the end goal of the wants? It takes you down a trail of chasing after the wind. You're chasing, and you're chasing, and you're chasing. So do we long for more than we need? Or number three, do we always feel discontent with what we currently have? You know, if I, if we had one more bedroom, then, then we'd be content in our home. You know, I really think if the bonus room was upstairs instead of downstairs, then I would be content. You know, if I had a newer truck that didn't leak out of the back window when it rains, that's just a personal thing for me. <laughs> then I would be content. But here's the problem. Discontentment will chase you wherever you go. I pull up in my 2004 truck next to a brand new truck and I look at it and I was like, yes, I would be more content if I had that. But you know what would happen if I got that truck? I'd pull up next to someone with a nicer one. It's a never ending race and chase. Of discontentment. And the thing about discontentment is it is a breeding ground for all other kinds of impurities. Because once discontentment finds in your discontentment in your home, discontentment in your job, discontentment on what you make, discontentment in your marriage, discontentment in your parenting, discontentment in everything, it begins to bleed into everything. And honestly, as you walk through the seven deadly sins, you can see a thread of discontentment in each one of them. So, do I have discontentment in? My heart. And then lastly, this question. What is the dollar amount you would need to feel content? You have a blank to write this down for yourself. What is the dollar amount? Like if I had this much money, if I made this much money with my job, then I would feel content. Or I had this much money in my account, then I would feel content. If you're brave enough to write the number down, that's good. Or if a house was this many square foot, then I'd feel content. If my spouse were to act this way, then I'd feel content. You could replace that with numerous things where discontentment may find finding. But here's the thing about our resources and how much money we make. There was a study recently uh, done where they asked uh, different people, what was this number? How much do you currently make and what would be the number where you would feel content? They asked people that were making $50,000 a year, what would, what would be the number where you would feel content? And the average of answers was about ninety-two thousand dollars where they would feel content then they asked people making a hundred thousand dollars how much would you need to make to feel content and their answer average was hundred and ninety two thousand dollars so what the survey tells us is that everyone would feel more content if they made double what they currently made because that's the state of our heart that we're always longing for more and once you get to the 192 it's like you know what 292 would be better 392 would be better. It is a constant chase for us. But in step two, that's step one of the step one of the refinement is understanding that we have impurities, examining for impurities. We examine for greed as we walk through this. Maybe you saw it in some levels of your heart, because I know I do mine. And it's convicting reading through every one of these questions. But step two is this understand the end goal. In the water purification process, the end goal is clean, drinkable water. Pure water that's nourishment to our bodies. We understand the end goal. We've talked through the process of how we get to the end goal. But for the refining of our hearts, we have to understand the end goal. And the end goal is at the heart of Jesus. The end goal for our refining process is to make us more like Jesus, to see our resources, to see our, um, our money, our financial, our human capital, all everything we have. The things that have been placed in our care, we see it through the lens of how Jesus would see those things. That is the end goal, that he is changing us into something else. So we have to understand the end goal holistically, that it's like Jesus And for Jesus, the end goal of refining from where we are at greed to the end goal of like Jesus is the move from greed to generosity. So if greed is one end of the spectrum of how we view our resources, generosity is the other end of that. So it is a move from greed in our hearts towards generosity. And to move that, if you have two polar opposites, there's always a bridge in between. And the bridge between greed to generosity is contentment. is being content with our current state in the world. To step back and say, everything that I currently have was placed there in my hand by a good and loving father. We talk about in missions all the time, this idea that God never gets the address wrong, that you live exactly where you live for a reason. And if we believe that to be true, that your address is what it is for a reason, that means God wanted you there. I believe it's for a missional endeavor, but also it is where God would have you in your state of life. It is exactly where he meant to have you. The resources that you have in your hand currently are the ones you exactly were meant to have. And if you've been wrestling with, I don't have enough, just remember this. You always have more than someone else. And someone else always has more than you do. So we find a place of contentment of where we currently are. Because as we move from from greed to generosity, we we see this. That the pure state of our hearts is being generous with the resources that we've been given us. And to compare the two, look at the next slide. The greedy never have enough, but the generous always have enough. The greedy never have enough, but the generous always have enough. What does that mean? That when greed is overtaking our hearts, we're never satisfied. We never have enough. That we can't be generous because we don't have enough ourselves. I cannot give when I see a need because I don't have enough. When I get to that certain place, then I'll be able to give more generously. But when we stop and realize that everything is exactly the way God would have it, that everything that has been placed in our hands by the a good and loving Father, we realize that we have enough, not just for us but was given to us so we would have an open hand that maybe it's not just for us, but it's for everyone and everyone that God's placed around us, that we would care for those that God has placed in our circle of influence with the resources that we currently have. Proverbs 11 enforces it. It's going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. It It goes to the same point, starting in verse 24. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to those who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The issue that we come across is, and from the verse we looked at earlier in 28, it says, uh, those who trust in the Lord will prosper. This passage talks about they will be rich because of their generosity. I think we have confusion sometimes of what we mean by this. We don't mean if you give to those around you, you give to good things, God will give you great things in return. The thing we miss is the great thing in return is God himself. The riches have nothing to do with things of this earth. Jesus is the riches. He is the treasure hidden from all ages. When we have Jesus, we have enough. And that's when we see it like this. You currently have more than you can ever imagine. And I mean that, first of all, with your resources and the things God's given you. I tell this to my kids all the time. My mom used to tell it to me when I was like, I don't want to eat this. And she would say, well, there's people in the world that have nothing to eat. And i say, that doesn't make this taste better. And i say the same thing to my kids. You want 3,000 Pokemon cards? There's a kid in the world that would love to have one. And when you think about the majority of the world lives on less than $2 a day, you can stop and look at your life and realize you have more than you can ever imagine. I mean, if you think back five, ten years ago, what was the things that you were longing for in your life to be content? Did God provide those things? And now we've changed the goal of what would be the next thing. But when we stop and maybe even means going home today and taking out a piece of paper and writing down how blessed you truly are. Because everybody has something that someone else wish they had I look at my kids every day I have four kids y'all know my story we lost one at birth and now God's blessed us with four but also know families that I'm walking through with who can't have children I know families that they're trying to they're they're in Franklin they're trying to find a house they can't find a house I'm blessed with my house There's things falling apart, but I've been blessed. When we can stop and look and see how we've been blessed with the things that we have in our hand, we say, man, I have more than I could ever imagine. But even more than that, if that's true about our things and resources, it's even more true of this. Look at 2 Corinthians. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you through his poverty might become rich and then let's not talking about things of this world because all the things of this world is chasing after the wind we're reading proverbs and the wisdom of solomon in ecclesiastes says everything under the sun is meaningless Everything under the sun is a chasing after the wind. He's not saying that so we'd be depressed about our striving and working under the sun. What he's saying is, yes, everything under the sun is meaningless. We should put our hearts and minds above the sun. That our riches aren't found here on earth. That our riches are found in heaven. That Jesus Christ became poor so that we would be rich. And the riches, the treasure, the glory, everything is found in who he is. And when Jesus has us, then we can see the world differently and realize we have everything. And that changes our hearts and it changes our eyes to see the world differently. We become a different type of person. We begin to be in the world the way Jesus was in the world. When we realize we have everything we could ever need. And we become this type of person. A generous person lives with an open heart to see their resources. And by resource, I mean your time your money, and your skills as a tool to change the world for the glory of God. That we begin to, with open hands, look at all that we've been given and say, you know what, this wasn't given to me just for me. It was given to me, to be generous to my neighbor when they're in need, to be generous to my coworker be generous to the family on the baseball team that I've been talking to about Jesus when I know there's a need, to be generous to the ends of the earth, to see that I've been blessed beyond belief. And here's the thing, Williamson County is one of the wealthiest counties in all of the world. And I believe that God did that on purpose, not that so we'd be greedy with it so that he would collect a bunch of resources in one place. Because what if Williamson County was the greatest mobilizer of the gospel to, the, to neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth ever in history because of the collection of resources here? We literally could meet God in changing the world with the resources that he's given us. We see the world differently. Back to the first verse from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And I said, that's not just seeing God at the end of all things. We can see God more clearly in the here and now. And Jesus also said this, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me and they said, Lord, when did we do these things for me, for you? He said, when you cared for the least of these, you were doing it for me. As he purifies our hearts when it comes to our resources, we begin to see everyone around us with new eyes through the lens of God. And we see Jesus. We see the image of God and all the people around us. And we begin to care for people in a different way. We begin to see our resources in a different way. We begin to move from discontentment about things into a different type of discontentment. And what I mean by that is this, that maybe, just maybe, that longing in your heart was meant to be there, not to lead to sin, but to lead to him. That God wants us to be discontent, but not discontent with things of this world, but have a holy discontentment. To be discontent with where we are with our holiness. Discontent with where we are in our refining to be more like him. Discontent in how we see our resources. That we should be discontent, but not discontent in things, but discontent in our holiness. Discontent in our discipleship. Discontent on how we look like. And I promise you, if you stay here today, Lord, I am discontent with my spiritual state, I guarantee you he will meet you there. Because when we talk about the Lord as our provider, it's not just a provider of things. He provides everything we need for the fullness of life. To be a holistic follower of Christ that affects every part of who we are. And when we study the word, we're studying who God is, and we want to see how he interacts with humans. We want to know what he's like because we want to see how we can be like him. And one of the ways to do that is thinking about all the characteristics of God, and you can look at that through all the different names of God, and one of his names in Scripture is this, Jehovah-Jireh. And what that name means is Provider. Those who trust in the Lord will prosper. If you trust in the Lord, he will provide. If the Lord is your shepherd, the second part of that promise is you shall not want. Let's pray. Father, if there's anybody in this room, Lord, who've never stepped down from the throne of their own heart and let you rule, Lord, and let the blood of Jesus wash over them so that God forgives their sins and sees them no more and washes away all impurity. And when he looks down, he sees his holy son. Lord. I pray that they don't take another moment before running to you, Lord. And for that person and everybody in this room, Lord, I pray That you continue to refine us, Lord. You continue to change us into your likeness, Lord. That you continue to mold us and purify us and make us holy. Lord, it is a long process, Lord. But the closer we, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us, Lord. Lord, help us to see our resources in such a way that we see them as a tool to make you known through our lives and to the ends of the earth, Lord. That we would trust you, Lord. That even if you take away everything from our life, if we still have Jesus, we have more than enough, Lord. You are sufficient for us, God. Give us holy contentment in who you are and what you would have us be, Lord. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit us at our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.